0: Hello, hello, welcome to, of course, the final episode of this season's uh, one take. Again, I will do a season two of one take, um, but that's when the fall season for the NFL's 2020 uh, year starts, um, you know, after these playoffs ended. But in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the teams and how they got to the playoffs just based on their strengths, and then also the current um, Coaching tracker of the NFL right now, which the Browns are now the only NFL team without a coach, but they're still doing their due diligence. If you if you say that word, and trying to uh, find the right coach uh, where they deem as the right coach for that team. But nevertheless, let's get to it. Starting with you know the teams that made the playoffs. Now, obviously, I'm not you know going to speculations or anything or making predictions. I'm just rather um, making, or at least reflecting a little bit on the games that occurred last weekend. I will go more in depth to that in my daily episode, which I'll release this weekend. I've kind of changed up my schedule just a little bit, just because of my own schedule outside of this podcast has been kind of, uh, kind of hectic. And so I'm just trying to kind of making up for these episodes that I thought I was going to release last week and, and couldn't. Um, so I'm kind of making up for it now. And nevertheless, I'm just going to be talking about based on the teams that made the playoffs, even after some of them been eliminated. But you can just kind of see why they made it, and it's just based on the strengths alone. You know, starting with the AFC side, you know, the Houston Texans. You know, it's definitely Deshaun Watson. You know, everyone, he's he's become a household name. You know, since Clemson and since his rookie year before his torn ACL, and he had an okay year last year, and He had an okay year this year, too, but he made the Pro Bowl. He had 33 total touchdowns, so he threw 26, and he ran for, I'm sorry, no, 34, because he threw for 26 touchdown passes. He ran for seven, and he caught a receiving touchdown. Um, But it wasn't like he had amazing passing yards. I mean, he threw, I think, over 3,800 passing yards, and he had 12 interceptions this year. Um and he took a bunch of sacks, but it's not like he was holding on to the ball a lot. I mean, the O-line was is compared relatively better to what it was last year. Um, but at least, I don't think the team led the NFL and, and allowed sacks. Um, but nevertheless, he's been by far the biggest strength on that team. Just because of his athleticism, just because of his accuracy, his poise him able to identify what he's looking at defensively uh or what the wh- what look he's looking at uh when the defense is out there when he's trying to figure out you know when's a passing situation what coverage the defense is in and so forth like he's a very he's he he is definitely an asset and a strength to this team and also the receivers like I think they ranked 12th in passing yards per game so somewhat of above average, they were better in rushing yards per game, which I think they ranked fifth. In total yards, I think eighth. Points per game, I think they ranked fifth as well. Um, But the receivers, kind of like their biggest strength on that team. Um Not only because of DeAndre Hopkins. He had over a 100 receptions for over 1,100 yards receiving. And I think he had... I want to say eight receiving touchdowns, something like that. So it wasn't his greatest statistical year by any means because he's definitely had more receptions. He's definitely had more receiving yards in this past um, and more receiving touchdowns. But he's definitely uh, an excellent wide receiver. He made the all-pro team again. But also, when healthy, Will Fuller had his career high in receptions and yards, uh, over 600 Uh, with 49 receptions, which isn't you know a whole lot. He's been in and out of lineup due to injuries. And he didn't have his career high in receiving touchdowns either. I think he had four. But he's definitely an effective receiver once he's out there because he's the fastest receiver on the team. And when you have another fast guy such as Kenny Stills that can just play in the slot, it gives him an advantage. And Kenny Stills had a good year as well, just playing in the slide and sometimes starting games of Will Fuller was out. Um, and then Darren Fells, the big tight end, had seven receiving touchdowns this year. But again, it's mainly been Deshaun Watson, the receivers they have, and then Carlos Hyde, who is by far, um, the most, I would argue, the most underappreciated player when People talk about the Texans because they don't often mention him other than, you know, breaking a thousand yards rushing, right? He didn't have double-digit rushing touchdowns either. I think he only had six this year, six or seven. Um, but when he gets going and that running attack is established, um, and it's not just read options, you know, sometimes they'll have Deshaun Watson under the center and they'll call stretch play, or sometimes a power play, or a dive play, or what have you. Uh, but it's mainly been inside zone um, when they call Carlos Hyde's number and when they run the ball. And again, their play actions can be effective with Watson under the center. If the run game gets going and they do play action and fake the handoff to Carlos Hyde. Like Duke Johnson is a complimentary back, don't get me wrong. But Carlos Hyde has been the most effective running back um, for Houston. Excluding Lamar Miller uh, for his torn ACL. um, Unfortunately, which happened during the preseason game against the Cowboys earlier in August. But he's by far underappreciated and he does make a difference. Once Houston establishes the run, which has been Bill O'Brien's identity, offensive identity, throughout his entire career, being the offensive play caller, other than this year. Because this year they went more, again, as I talked about, pass heavy, throwing intermediate to deep routes. Which we saw in the first half, in case you didn't see, That When they played against the Bills, it's what they tried to do, and they couldn't do it because Watson was getting sacked under pressure a lot. And then they they ran the ball a lot, both with Duke Johnson and especially with Carlos Hyde. And then they ran some read options where Deshaun got out of the pocket and ran for a touchdown. Um... But it's definitely effective when establishing a ground game because the Bills' pass rush then kind of became a little bit neutralized, and then they ran some play actions from under center, which has by far been effective for Houston if they ran it, but they didn't often run it this year. They ran play action, but out of shotgun. Um, So it hasn't been necessarily part of their identity this year, but he's by far underappreciated underappreciated player and that's all I got about Houston's strengths I'm gonna now talk about the Buffalo Bills and it's literally been their defense and their ground attack that's literally been the strength of this team they sacked the Sean Watson this past wild card game which is again a fantastic game don't get me wrong it was fantastic two of the four wild card games last weekend were in overtime it was the Saints and Vikings and it was the Texans and Bills which is by far again a more fantastic game. Uh, cause both teams got possessions in overtime. Evidently, again, Houston won 22 to 19. But that Bills defense was getting after Watson. And it's they I think we're ranked top five in sacks this year. Um in you know top Three in almost every category. Their defense is fantastic. It's a reason, a huge reason why the Bills made the playoffs. And also the running attack. They didn't have a thousand yards rusher this year, but they had a combination of Frank Gore, Mike Singletary. And Josh Allen, who ran over 500 yards this year as a quarterback. And he's a big athletic quarterback. He's got a strong arm. Now, he barely threw over 3,000 yards. That passing tag is not their identity. They're not the greatest passing team. Um, they don't really have a vertical threat other than John Brown. And then um, Cole Beasley, who's not a vertical threat. But he's definitely a guy who's an excellent route runner who kind of moves the chains. Um, he, he's run deep routes before. I'm just saying that's not the guy they want to throw to. If they're trying to throw vertically. If they're throwing crossing routes, hitch routes, insides, unders, whatever, that's your guy you want to throw it to, especially if, if he's got single coverage. Cause again, he is an excellent route runner. But again, that's been the strength of the Bills has been their defense all around in the run game. We saw in that wild card game, you know they got to a 16 nothing lead, but as soon as the run game was shutting down for Buffalo, and as soon as they had to rely on their passing attack, it couldn't get nothing could get going up until they got the ball again in overtime, and they're on their way to actually win that game. They converted third and longs. Houston was about to lose that game up until there's a blindside block that caused a 15 yard penalty. Which made like third and twenty something through an incomplete pass punted and Houston got the ball again and made an, a fantastic drive for a field goal. And then Killers, Houston won. But again, that was not Buffalo's strength. Had they be able to adjust it or had they be able to throw the ball more effectively and open up more lanes for the running game. Buffalo probably could have won, but because Houston's defense adjusted to a running attack, and because Josh Allen is not the most accurate passer, and they don't have reliable receivers, it really kind of hurt the what would have been a fantastic performance by the Bills' defense. And again, and just speaking about pass rush, that's a strength for the Tennessee Titans. You know, it's not their secondary, not their run defense. It's the pass rush as well as the play from Ryan Tannehill and as well as Derrick Henry. I talked about all year, especially in one of my episodes of One Take, how Ryan Tannehill has been the most what he's got off of the play actions. And then, of course, their identity is pounding the rock with a zone scheme. They sometimes call power, but it's definitely been a zone scheme um, with Derrick Henry, who... Uh, Before the wild card game, um, led the NFL in rushing yards, I believe, with over 1,500 rushing yards. So he's got the rushing title. And he is by far a fantastic weapon, especially for Tennessee's identity. And then when they played against New England, it definitely showed Although, it was definitely a low-scoring game up until pick six that Tom Brady threw. Because at one point, it was 14-13. To Tom Brady threw a pick six. Basically, game over 20-13. to 13. Um, But that Patriots defense struggled trying to handle Derrick Henry. And they did the best they could. They definitely shut down the play action, really. Um, I mean, Ryan Tannehill threw a touchdown pass. Um, but he definitely shut down the play action. Um, but nevertheless, that was part of Tennessee's identity as Derrick Henry. And then speaking of Patriots defense, again, special teams and that defense was what carried New England being not only 12 and 4, but be able to win that division and host a Waller card round. Um, and then of course, Tom Brady. Now, Tom Gra- Brady didn't have the greatest stats in the world, don't get me wrong, but he had, 24 touchdown passes to eight interceptions He finished in the in top 10 in passing yards over 4,000 yards passing just above that but he Despite an inconsistent running game and inconsistent receivers and sometimes those receivers do play well If Julian element is healthy and he's consistent with James Why as a running back catching passes out of the backfield? you know, kill Harry was actually having some good games uh, Tom Brady was the one that was basically consistent in holding that offensive ship up right up until you know they lost the game. And I, F, FYI, I do think he'll be back again uh, this year. I don't think his last pass is a Patriot. I don't think he wants it to be known as a pick six in a water card round. Um, and then speaking also FYI, the Titans broke the streak for Patriots. In terms of AFC Championship game appearances, because the Patriots team has always been in it since 2011 to the 2018 season, um, and then of course they showed up one, two, three, four, four more times. So they showed up 12 times actually in AFC Championship games. No, I'm sorry, five, five more times. So the total is 13 which is an NFL record not just for ASC Championship game appearances but also for all championship game appearances which FYI again that's a game before the Super Bowl. Think about it. New England showed up in 2001, 2003, 2004, 2006, 2007, 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. So yeah, 13 times. So I mean that organization is amazing. Give them all the credit. Yes, there's been controversies, but they've had a consistent roundabout cast, and all the players and coaches have been there. Um, just again, that's literally been the strength of the Patriots at least for this year. Has been that defense, has been the special teams, and has been Tom Brady. And for the Chiefs, it's been the offensive passing attack and their pass rush. I know their defense has played somewhat phenomenally well the past seven, past eight games. Their opponents have never been really strong off, uh, offensively. I know they played the Raiders twice in that stretch, uh, or Raiders once. They played Denver twice in that stretch. Uh, the Chargers, because, you know, they're net to turnovers. But it's literally, in overall season, it's literally been the cheese pass rush, at least defensively, has been the strength of that team. And then on uh, the Chiefs' offense, just their passing attack alone. Tyree Kill, uh, Herman, um, Travis Kelsey, um, Sammy Watkins, if he's consistent. And of course, it helps when you have Patrick Mahomes. It's definitely not been the running game, which kind of worries me. Because, again, if they play a team like Houston... That is ranked top five in rushing yards. And they actually pound the rock, not just with Carlos Hive, with Duke Johnson and doing some zone reads with Deshaun Watson, getting the other players involved in a run game. And if the Chiefs can't establish their own run game itself, they are relying on their passing attack. And, uh, they have to play catch up the entire time and they can't, you know, move on third down. And that defense can't stop the run, and they're in trouble, which is what we've seen in their four losses. It's not only getting outgained in the rushing attack, but also their defense not doing anything. And then Patrick Mahomes literally having to be perfect, um, throwing a bunch of yards. So again, that's the strength of the team: is a Patrick, is Patrick Mahomes in that passing attack, and then uh, the Chiefs' pass rush. And then for the Ravens, that strength of the team is Lamar Jackson, that run game, and that secondary. They're one of the most heavy blitz usage teams in the league. Not because their pass rush is phenomenal or the fact that their pass rush sucks, but because their secondary is actually pretty good. They can man up or at least do man coverage and play well in zone blitz if they do that. But most of the time, it's man coverage. And if you have a secondary that can play well in man coverage... And you can just blitz all day and give pressure to quarterback. And then by mean, by, by all means that not only helps your pass rush, but it definitely gives your defense coordinator more confidence because you know that you have a secondary, which then gives your defense coordinator again, confidence to continuously call blitzes, whether again, be man or be zone, which again, Baltimore is mainly run man blitzes for a majority of the regular season. And, of course, that run game with Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, the whole line, right? Their tight ends can't catch the ball, and they're excellent, but they're also excellent run blockers. And, of course, Lamar Jackson having 43 total touchdowns, you know, having a 1,000 yards rushing as a QB, barely threw over 3,000 yards That's him basically running, and also him throwing uh, 36 touchdown passes, I believe. So again, he's had a phenomenal year. He might be the second or third player in NFL history to win the MVP unanimously. I think uh, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes were the only ones who had done that, or maybe it's just Tom Brady, uh, when he won his MVP it was uh, it was twenty. He's won MVP, I think three times now. But the third time is when he was unanimously named MVP, I believe. But I could be wrong here. I could be wrong. There might be more players who won MVP unanimously. But nevertheless, that's an accomplishment if you can get everyone to basically vote for you as MVP because of your performance. And then, of course, I do think Russell Wilson has a chance to actually win the MVP. Because he has been the strength of that team. And the running attack as well. But the running backs are out. So it's really him. I mean, they got Marshawn Lynch back, but it's not like he's the most healthiest back that he's ever been, right? And, you know, they got other running backs in there as well, but it's literally been him kind of carrying the team as we saw him competing against the Eagles and then evidently winning that game and now moving on to play against the Packers this Saturday. It's literally been him kind of carrying the team. He threw 31 touchdown passes, just five interceptions. He threw, I think, over or just barely over 4,000 yards passing. And he's had his highest completion percentage in his career. And he's a huge reason why Seattle is in the playoffs and having the record that they are. It's not the defense. It's not just the run game. And it's not like it's him scrambling. They've had good backs, right? And then him having the opportunity to throw off a play action kind of helps too. But also, again, with the revolving door of receivers and tight ends, and sometimes those receivers and tight ends not being consistent, he's made the most of what he's got. And he's definitely now had the opportunity to at least at least put his name in there to win his first ever, if he does, first ever uh, MVP. Um, but he's definitely a huge reason why Seattle, again, or at least contributed uh, in being a reason, and huge reason why Seattle has made the playoffs. And then when they play against Philadelphia, you could tell if you watch that game, that Philadelphia's strength is really their defensive line. Whether it be, sorry a drink of water there, whether it be not only the run stop, but it's mainly been their pass rush has been the biggest strength throughout the year. And we saw that again. Seattle couldn't really get the run game going. They got sacked several times. You saw Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham consistently hitting Russell Wilson in the pocket. So again, it's basically been that big strength has been that defensive line. And then also Carson Wentz, which he got hurt. He got concussed. He worked so hard. He stayed healthy all year to have the opportunity to compete in his first ever playoff game. Now, he's been part of the playoffs as a team, but he's been on injured reserve. Um, so he's had this wonderful opportunity, and he gets concussed. And um, that spacing when that offense has kind of dialed down because you know Josh McCown. I do think he's a good backup, but he's forty years old. He's not, you know, the most athletic QB out there. I mean, he's by far the most athletic QB. Just at the age of forty, he's faster than Tom Brady. Uh, he can play. He can somewhat play receiver for his age. Um, but man, it's you could tell that offense changed kind of drastically. They relied more on that running game. Because Carson Wentz was out. And Carson Wentz has made the most of what he's got, which he's another, I believe, another MVP candidate. Yes. He didn't have the greatest stats. He barely threw over 4,000 yards. He had 27 touchdowns and 7 interceptions. But he was working with receivers that didn't have over 1,000 yards rushing. Like Zach Ertz, the tight end, he just had 900 yards receiving. Um, if I said rushing earlier, my bad, I meant receiving yards. Um, Dallas Goddard, I think, had 600 receiving yards. He didn't, this is the first time a quarterback in NFL history threw over 4,000 yards and not to have a receiver over 500 yards receiving. He had a running back have more receiving yards than Alshon Jeffrey and other receivers that have been in and out of the lineup. It's, it's honestly, it's miraculous to see Carson Wentz do what he's got to do and make the most of what he's got. And I, I, I commend him and I really do think he should be in that MVP conversation just based on making the most of you know what what he's what he's got. And then for you know Russell Wilson, just going back to him for a second, I do think he should be in that MVP conversation, but I think he had a receiver over a thousand yards this year, if I'm not mistaken. I think it might be Tyler Lockett who got over 1,000 receiving yards. Yeah, yeah, Tyler Lockett, Lockett 82 receptions, 1,057 receiving yards, and eight receiving touchdowns. So um, had he not got over you know, 1,000 yards receiving, he would have been the second quarterback to be able to do that. So a lot of these quarterbacks are making the most of what they got, and they should be in the MVP conversation, um, bar none. And in speaking of quarterbacks, I do think Kirk Cousins gets a lot of shit just because he's hardly performed well or well enough to or in Monday night games, Sunday night games, primetime games, if you will. But man... And he's he's thrown twenty six touchdowns to six interceptions. He's had his highest quarterback rating with over a hundred and five, I believe. And yes, he only threw three, you know, thirty six hundred yards passing. But that was because seven. That's because the offensive coordinator of the Vikings, Kevin Stefanski, emphasized on giving the ball to Dalvin Cook, and Dalvin Cook had an amazing year. Which has, again, again, not only been the strength of the Vikings, not just Dalvin Cook, but the entire running unit. The O-line and all the running backs involved. Their defense, other than their secondary, giving up big plays on occasion. Um, and then, Kirk Cousins. I do think he makes a difference. I do think if they put in another QB in there, that offense is not as effective. Because... Kirk Cousins, he's got sharp accuracy. He's got a good arm. He puts in passes that somewhat either gets out of bounds or receiver makes a catch out of that. He's by far another underappreciated player in that team, much like Carlos Hyde with the Texans. He is by far an effective quarterback that the Vikings have had in years, exclude which that also includes Brett Favre and includes Case Keenum's 2017 year and somewhat of Teddy Bridgewater in 2014. But he's been by far in the most effective quarterback the Vikings have had in almost a decade. Um, and I do think with his performance, he kind of earns that money. He's worked hard to be where he is now and get that playoff win in overtime. And throwing the game-winning touchdown pass to Kyle Rudolph to give the Vikings another chance uh, to reach the NFC Championship championship game and potentially the Super Bowl by visiting the 49ers this weekend in the divisional round, which is going to be a tough matchup nevertheless, but man, he should really deserve more credit. And then with the Saints, which again, the Vikings have defeated this past weekend, it's Ben Drew Brees, who I think should be in the MVP conversation too, a little bit. Maybe not, I, I mean, he missed five games, but even then, when he came back, he even though he didn't throw 3,000 yards, he was just under that, but he threw 27 touchdown passes to just four interceptions. And he's had his second-highest completion percentage with 72.3. The NFL record is 72.4, and he set the bar with that last year. And I know he didn't throw as much vertically down the field as he did last year, and the year before, but if you have an offense that doesn't throw the ball vertically, but yet can still manage to get Michael Thomas open on crossing routes, and still get receivers open on intermediate to short routes, and you have a QB that can just identify the coverage and make sure that not only the ball is safe, but only a receiver can get that, it's amazing, and he deserves credit. He's He's definitely been the strength of that team, as well as the defense all around, and Michael Thomas having that most receptions in the season, which I think he had 155, um, which that's an NFL record. Now, he, I think, led the league in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. He's, he is an amazing wide receiver. And then for the Packers, it's not Aaron Rodgers has been the strength of the team. It's definitely been Aaron Jones. Uh, Aaron Rodgers had similar stats compared to last year. He barely threw over 4,000 yards this year. He's had 26 touchdown passes to so just four interceptions. Yeah, last year he had 25 touchdowns to so just two interceptions. So he's taken care of the ball. He threw more passing yards last year. But it's definitely been Aaron Jones, who I think led the league in total touchdowns, excluding quarterbacks, because if we included quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson had 43 total touchdowns. Including quarterbacks. I mean, excluding quarterbacks, he led the league in total touchdowns with 19. He um I want to say he had 16 rushing touchdowns on the ground and then three receiving touchdowns in the air. Um, he's by far been a strength of that team. And for defense, it's literally been their pass rush with Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith and forcing turnovers. It's not an intimidating defense unless they force turnovers and force sacks. And then with the 49ers it's been the run game, that defense all around, and George Kittle. George Kittle makes a huge difference to that team just because of his size, his speed, his catch radius. He had over 1,000 yards receiving as a tight end this year which was I think second or third amongst all tight ends this year. Um, 5 receiving touchdowns, which isn't a whole lot, but I think he led the team in receptions with 82, so he's by far an effective player, and then, again, the 49ers run game, their own line, it's not just one back, with that zone um, run game, that zone run scheme, they could put Raheem Mostert in there, they can put Tevin Coleman, Matt Pareda, any running back with a 4-4 speed, and with that amazing online. line, the run game can work, which has been the biggest strength of that team. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's a good quarterback, don't get me wrong, but he's not the one that's making a huge difference. It's that own line with the running backs and George Kittle offensively. And again, their defense, all around great. But that's all the strengths I've labeled for each team that competed or is now competing in the playoffs. I'm just going to move on to a little bit to end this, you know, final episode of the season of the year uh, for my series, one take, talking about the current coaching tracker. So, I mentioned earlier. I think the old teams either have their head coach still, or the teams that didn't have the head coach now hired one, except for the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns is the only team that don't have their head coach. They're still looking at several candidates. Um, as for the teams that hired a new coach, Panthers and Giants today. As of now, hired their coaches, the Giants hired special teams coordinator and receivers coach Joe Judge from the New England Patriots as their new head coach. The Carolina Panthers hired Matt Rule with a, a, a contract of five years worth $92 million, I think, or no, 72, something like that. It's a huge ass number. Uh, who was now the previous head coach of the Baylor Bears? And I say previous because again, he wasn't fired from Baylor, but he signed the contract with the Carolina Panthers. Of course, last week, the Washington Redskins hired Ron Rivera. And then um, also yesterday, the Dallas Cowboys hired former Packers coach Mike McCarthy. So that's all the hires there, and what's left is Cleveland. I think compared to all the teams I labeled, Cleveland's by far has the most talent. They got star players there. It's just been a dysfunction. If they can have patience and hire a coach and keep that coach there for more than four years, that'd be great. If we suck for the first three and yet the final year or fourth or fifth year of the contract, the team does well. Crap, that's an accomplishment. At least you've proved that you can stick with a coach more than just one or two years. It's been a tire fire organization. But here's the, the list so far that Cleveland has either interviewed or will interview and will make the decision by Saturday of who their head coach is going to be. So here, here's the list that, um, that they've got thus far. They're going to be interviewing Kevin Stefanski this week. Again, they're going to make the decision on Saturday. So Kevin Stefanski, he's the Vikings offensive coordinator. He's been in the Vikings organization since 2009. With several coaching changes there, but he's been by far um the most consistent or the one that's hasn't been fired under three head coaching regimes. Um he this is his first year actually being a full-time offensive coordinator. <clears throat> and then Eric Enemy who's the Chiefs Offensive Coordinator. I don't think he's the play caller there. I think it's Andy Reid, but he's definitely helped Andy Reid construct that offense. Jim Schwartz, who's currently the Eagles Defensive Coordinator. Sorry. Again, Jim Schwartz. Robert Sala, who's the 49ers Defensive Coordinator. They interviewed him last week. Brian Dable, they interviewed him earlier this week, who's currently the Bills offensive coordinator. Mike McCarthy, they interviewed him last week, but he's with the Dallas Cowboys now. Josh McDaniels, who they interview, I think on the 10th. So that's, that is a, a Friday. They interview him this Friday. And then Greg Roman, who's currently the Ravens' offensive coordinator, and Josh McDaniels is the Patriots' offensive coordinator. And um, looking at all these candidates, they don't have an interest in Urban Meyer. Um, I I do think I think the right hire. If I was leading the charge in this, I do think the right hire is going to be either Eric Bieniemy. Kevin Stefanski or Robert Sala. Now, granted, I think the last defensive minded coach they hired for the Browns. Um. Oh man, I can't remember his name, but. He is currently the Packers defensive coordinator. And he was fired in 2015. He was there in seasons 2014-2015. Then 2016 from, you know, literally 2018 was Hugh Jackson. He's the offensive-minded guy. And then this 2019 year, um, Freddie Kitchens. And if they're going to hire an offensive guy, I do think it's better off hiring Eric Yenemi. There's been success with head coaches who have worked under Andy Reid. And um, there's been far less success with head coaches that worked under Bill Belichick. But to name a few that actually worked out who worked under Bill Belichick, it's been Bill O'Brien, who's won his division for four times now. Um it's um I'm trying to think if there was another assistant that's had success, but I can't name another. But then again, there's Brian Flores who worked with the Patriots last year who is trying to to reconstruct the Dolphins roster. And Josh McDaniels had been a head coach for Denver for two years and got fired. Um, But I can't name another Patriots assistant that's either currently a head coach right now other than now Joe Judge for the Giants. I don't know how he's going to turn out. But you know, there's been assistants that worked under Andy Reid, um, such as Sean McDermott, who's taken the Bills twice to playoffs now since 2017. Uh, John Harbaugh, who's been in Baltimore forever, who's had one Super Bowl, who's had playoff success, and um, gosh, just a few others, Ron Rivera. That includes one of them. So I think Eric Biennami is by far a good hire, but I think the Browns are going to want someone that's going to kind of reconstruct and focus on the run game with Nick Chubb. And I think that's Kevin Stefanski. But I think if they're going to look someone who's trying to reconstruct, um, Baker Mayfield with the weapons they have, it's going to be Eric Biennami. And they are going to look for someone who's going to be a defensive mind head coach. I think it's Robert Sala. Um, so I do think, I do hope that they hire Eric the enemy, but we'll see how that goes. But nevertheless, that is the end of my series One Take. Thank you so much for listening to the entire season of One Take. Um, One Take will be back right around when the 2020 NFL regular season starts. Nevertheless, thank you so much for listening. I'll release my daily episode this weekend. Nevertheless, have a kick-ass day, y'all. And I will talk to y'all soon, or release, and again, I'll, and again, I'll talk to y'all soon, and release my next episode this upcoming weekend.